0: Lewis Smedes has a very well-known quote that goes like this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. We know that the world is cruel, but that doesn't make anything easier. In fact, sometimes it feels impossible to find peace because we've been so betrayed or hurt or traumatized. Sometimes it feels as if we'll never find joy again, and that can be really scary. The thing is, when we hold on to a situation that occurred to us and we refuse to forgive, it begins to destroy us from the inside, adding to whatever happened in the first place. But forgiveness can be so difficult, especially when the worst has been done. So why is it still so important? unforgiveness is a destructive sin it not only leads to bitterness which the bible warns against but that bitterness brewing within causes heaps of harm hebrews twelve fifteen says that we should see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled bitterness thrives in the hearts of the unforgiving and that resentment that grows within clouds judgment and causes grief The hatred that forms, blinds, and twists our peace into misery. In fact, many scientific studies have found that forgiveness not only affects the psychological, but the physical as well. It not only breeds negative emotions that lead to anxiety and depression and so on, but it has been found to be a factor in chronic pain, chronic illnesses, and even the length of life. It isn't only mental. Unforgiveness and the resentment and bitterness that is associated with it can throw us deep under. Choosing to not forgive creates an unbeatable battle that will destroy us unless we surrender. And this battle can cost us everything. It hurts more to stay resentful than to forgive. The unexpected problem with unforgiveness is that the bitterness that simmers will always have you lose and be unhappy. And the thing is, the devil wants you to keep the bitterness because he wants you to be focused on something else. He doesn't want you to forgive and let yourself grow. He doesn't want you to find peace in God. He wants to keep you stuck and miserable. So when we choose to stay bitter at someone, the devil succeeds. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Our choice of action in dealing with people is to deal with them according to their sin. God doesn't do that, though. He does not punish us during our life because Jesus took the punishment. Our punishment should be death and hell, but if we repent, we're saved. God sometimes corrects us here on earth, and we have natural consequences if we've done wrong, but He deals with our sin differently than we expect. We think we can do what people did to us, but take Matthew 5, 38-47 into consideration where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Jesus calls us to forgive, not to resent, not to treat one another out of bitterness, but to forgive. Furthermore, unforgiveness causes a barrier between our relationship with God. Just as any sin, if it is not examined and dealt with biblically, it will begin to create a wedge between you and the Lord. We are forgiven through Christ, but when we don't repent from the sin of unforgiveness, it can lead to distance from the Lord because we are refusing to let Him take over. Unforgiveness is a common reason for unanswered prayers. Mark 11.25 says, And whenever you stand praying— Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Those who attempt revenge are the conquered, but those who forgive conquer. Vengeance is the Lord's to take care of, not yours. Forgive and let peace be in your heart. It takes more to be vengeful and hold grudges than it does to forgive. God will take care of your justice. It is not your job nor your expertise. Let your heart be freed, otherwise you will suffer further. God stretches out His hand to give us peace. In this world, we will be hurt and transgressed against, but He doesn't want us to suffer more than we already have. It isn't easy to forgive, but with Jesus we can do it. In Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22, it is written, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Jesus knows people will mess up and do bad things, and so he says, as many times as it takes, forgive. Usually, we'll first have to choose to forgive objectively, and then pray for the heart to follow. Objective forgiveness is doing so with your mind, but emotional forgiveness is being able to do so with your heart. And that is where the Lord can intercede and bring us peace and strength. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. When we forgive, we allow for the peace to resume, and for our hearts to be set free from the chains of resentment when we choose to forgive, it doesn't mean we're excusing or forgetting or ignoring what was done to us. It instead means that we're no longer confined to someone else's harm or defined by the situation that happened. It provides a path to contentment and joy. No longer do you have to be continuously put through the pain over and over. You get to heal. Forgiveness is mentioned numerous times in the Bible. And one of the greatest examples comes from Genesis in the story of Joseph. Most know of his story, but for those of you who don't, I'll recap. Joseph was the youngest and most favored son of Jacob. His brothers envied him from the start, and when their father gave Joseph a beautiful coat of many colors over any of them, they were angered. They hated Joseph for being the favorite and refused to be kind to him. They despised Joseph so much that one day, as Joseph was coming to find his brothers out in the fields, they conspired against him, as Genesis 37, 18 says. Originally, their plan was to kill him and tell their father a gruesome animal devoured him, but one of his brothers thought to spare him and just to leave him in a ditch instead. And as they were attempting to abandon Joseph, a group of people were walking by and instead the brothers chose to sell him off as a slave. They took the money and his colorful coat, now dipped in animal blood to pretend he had been killed, and went home to break the news, which broke the father's heart. And from then on, Joseph was out of their hair. As Joseph grew, he encountered numerous acts against him, all trying to tear him down and ruin him. But God was with Joseph, and despite his extreme hardships, Joseph stepped out of his misery and climbed to the second of command in Egypt, right under Pharaoh. During this time, there comes upon the land an intense famine. The brothers of Joseph travel to Egypt in order to obtain food for their starving families, and they come face to face with the man in charge, Joseph. The same Joseph they sold off and hoped death upon. But his brothers don't recognize him as he recognizes them. In Genesis 42, we see the interaction that Joseph has with his brothers who committed terror against him. But he doesn't act vindictive instead he sets a test knowing they do not know where their youngest brother is or if he's even alive joseph asks them to bring him forth if they want food but of course they're unable to do so at this moment the brothers still don't know that their youngest brother stands before them but joseph knew them and all that they had caused in his life still joseph was not bitter because he gave it to God and he learned to forgive his brothers for the cruelty after all these years. He plays through with his test, though, and fast forward a bit, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, and they are in shock. But Joseph doesn't snap back cruelly as they had acted towards him. No, he blesses them and invites them and their families to move in with him and to rejoice with him. Towards the end of Genesis, Joseph says something profound about his situation and the reason for his forgiveness. In chapter 50, verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God transformed their intended evil into joy, death into life. God used that situation that Joseph was in to change the trajectory of what was assumed. And as he did this with Joseph, he does with us. Regardless of what was done to us, we can escape from the hurt and be transformed by God's grace. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and on, we hear a parable about another son and his father. This parable that Jesus tells to his audience is a short one, but boy is it good. There once was a father with two sons who split his money between the two at the request of the younger son. The older son stays with his father, but the other goes out and spends everything. After spending absolutely all the fortune, the son, just as Joseph's brothers, comes upon a famine. He was so hungry that at the field that he was now working at, he was considering eating the pig food just to survive. As he considers this, he realizes that he messed up big time and thinks to himself, if I'm going to be a servant, I might as well be a servant to my father where I'll at least eat human food. He won't forgive me as I've sinned against him, and I no longer deserve to even be called his son, but it's better than living a life equal to pigs. And so he heads home, reciting his apology in his head in hopes that his father will accept him into his home, even if it is just to be a servant. But before he even reaches home, his father sees him and runs to him in great joy that his son has returned. While his son was attempting his speech of unworthiness, his father puts the finest clothing on him and gives him a feast. This is confusing. Why would his father take him back so willingly? Even his own brother was upset at this. His younger brother selfishly asked for the inheritance and then spent all his fortune that was his family's on useless things. And now, just like that, he gets a whole party? But the father explains to his older son a vital point. Rather than being bitter and resentful towards his son's actions, he can forgive him and be at peace because while he did mess up, he was dead then, but now he's alive. He was lost but was found, and that is worth rejoicing. And this story leans into a greater picture of what Jesus does for us. We mess up big time. We take what the Lord has blessed us with and demolish it. The glory of the cross abounds. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are forgiven. He greets us with open arms and heaven throws lavish parties when we come to Jesus. We messed up, but with a repentant heart, we are cleansed by Jesus. As Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 say, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We are no longer under the Mosaic law, but under the law of Christ, which means we receive his mercy and grace despite our mistakes. Nothing is needed besides repentance and belief. We cannot live up to the standard of the law. We cannot achieve every requirement of the law. But Jesus can. That is why we get to rejoice in his deliverance because with him we no longer have to prepare sacrifices. He was our sacrifice and through his sacrifice we get the honor to follow his steps and live like him. We get to grow with him and see the fruits of the spirit flourish in our lives. He paid the price that we sinful and unforgiving people owed. We are horribly sinful and messed up. We have so much fault and yet Jesus still forgives us because he loves us so much. Jesus died for us, gave salvation, despite our tangled lives. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We are called to forgive just as Jesus has forgiven us. We are called to forgive as we are called to love one another. God does not want us to suffer, and resentment only brings sorrow. But in Christ, we are forgiven to so love and pardon, strive to be as Jesus is. Forgiving isn't the easiest act, but darn is it the most relieving choice to make because Jesus takes what was placed upon us and he delivers us. We don't have to suffer with the harm because he is going to take care of it. Daniel chapter 9 verse 9 says, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We get to sit with him and find peace. It's not easy, but it is worth it. I have been hurt, but even the hardest thing that I have endured no longer holds a tie to me because Jesus is dealing with it. There are tougher days than others, but as I learn to forgive with my heart, Jesus cleanses me. If you've been hurt or betrayed or whatever it may be, give it to Jesus and forgive those who've wronged you. Let Him take care of the situation so you don't have to continue to suffer. He is our gracious Father who cares so, so deeply for us. And if you've messed up, you're in luck because as 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is so good indeed, and we get to rejoice in the forgiveness we receive and in our freedom in Him, an opportunity to pass on this incredible gift to others. Forgiveness can sometimes be tough, but it is so worth it, and Jesus can help us get through it. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Metanoia, and I hope that God blesses each and every one of you. You are always welcome to message me if you have any questions, comments, or just want to chat. Episode 2 and 3 were spaced out heavily, unfortunately, but the next episode won't be as long, so stay tuned for episode 4. I would love it if you subscribed and left a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts, and more than happy to chat with any of you. Thank you so much for listening and I'll chat with you next time on Betanoia.